Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. On today's edition of the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we're talking with members of the New Jersey Collaborative Law Council. Joining us today are Julie Davelman, a mental health professional in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, and Gary Borger, an attorney in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Good to be here, Tim. So uh, let's just start, first of all, with, uh, with a simple question. What is the New Jersey Collaborative Law Council? New Jersey Collaborative Law Council is a group, an umbrella group in which the individual collaborative divorce practice groups of New Jersey are members. And we are the statewide umbrella, if you will, that works toward promotion and coordination of collaborative divorce in New Jersey. And and when you say an umbrella organization of how many other organizations? Well, right now, we're the only collaborative divorce group organization, the overseer, if you will, in New Jersey. We have three practice groups that are members, and a fourth group is joining, and that covers the entire state of New Jersey. So, uh, Julie, let's talk for a moment about this this collaborative law or collaborative divorce concept. Uh, What is it? How did you get involved in it? So the collaborative divorce allows couples who would like to end their marriage to do so in a way that they would like, where they control the process. So it is a team approach where each partner has an attorney present. There's usually a mental health neutral and a financial neutral. And as a team, you work towards the resolution that the family would like. So instead of it being dictated by an outside force, the family gets to drive the process towards what is important for them. And often this allows us to have both more creative and faster solutions that meet the needs of the family. Now, to your second question, how I got involved is I was working um, as a therapist for a family post-divorce doing co-parenting therapy for a couple who had told me that they had done collaborative divorce and um, they were a very high conflict kind of couple. So it seemed like she was just using the word collaborative in uh, as in friendly. And it wasn't until much later that I learned it was a real process. And even for a high conflict couple, they had been able to get divorced because it allows this supportive team approach with a mental health person who can sometimes de-escalate a situation that may otherwise turn into a very hostile environment. Gary, part of the part of this is that as you go through this process, uh, uh, you agree not to go to court. And that has to be very different for someone who is a family law attorney and probably has spent quite a bit of time in court. That's that's true, Tim. We, We really have to make a true transition from what we learned in law school and what we practiced all those years in the adversary system where it's husband versus wife and wife versus husband, and they attack each other. And then they're expected when the case is over to play nice, especially if they have children and they have to co-parent for the rest of their lives. And it just doesn't work. So the collaborative divorce process enables people to work together and amicably and respectfully reach a resolution that works and is 
fit for their family, as opposed to a judge, which is just an application of the law to the facts of the case as the judge sees it, and then they're forced to live under the terms that the judge dictates. So I practiced family law for many years in the adversarial court system, and I learned that it's destructive financially, it's destructive emotionally, and people waste their children's college educations fighting with each other only in the end to settle anyway, because less than 2% of all filed divorce cases nationwide go to trial. The rest settle. So why not focus from the beginning on settlement instead of the charade of pretending you're going to go to trial, attacking each other, ripping each other apart, and then trying to play nice as parents when it's all over? And Julie, I would guess that 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 part of it is really uh, an important part of your work, how how you help these parents, not just to play nice, but actually to have a good co-parenting relationship after the divorce. No, I find that the mental health coach as part of the team actually lays the groundwork for that even before we get to the co-parenting part. It's even how do you come to the table? It's the fact that everybody can have a conversation and present their opinion and be respectful of whatever the opinion that is being presented. So by the time we start talking about what does parenting look like and what the options are, first, we can be more creative to really meet the particular needs of the family. I find it especially critical if there's some mental health issues for either of the parents and there's some real legitimate concerns that would normally result in a custody evaluation being ordered. And that's six to nine months and $20,000 down the drain. Um, And we can just have those conversations. And I help parents think about, well, how will this actually work? Let's talk about what would you like to see? And how do we get to this point that you would like to see? I can also help them put some skills in place, right? I'm not just the evaluator who puts a report out and they walk away and now they have to figure out how to do it. I can kind of hold their hand and have um, conversations with them together separately with their attorneys without to really help them understand what would set them up for success. So the other neutral is a financial professional. What is what's their role in in the collaborative process? Well, the financial neutral is very important in cases where we have businesses or professional practices that have to be valued as an asset of the marital estate. The financial neutral is also helpful in determining the true cash flow income of each parent for support purposes. For example, uh, we often have cases where there may be cash income and uh, a financial neutral can review the business records, the personal financial records of the couple, bank accounts, credit card statements, and determine the standard of living or the lifestyle of the parties for alimony purposes and their true income for alimony and support purposes. Um, The financial neutral also can help the parties develop the individual lifestyle for alimony purposes. That is determining what was spent for each spouse to live during the last few years of the marriage, which is the marital lifestyle, And that's the initial basis for calculating alimony. 
So there's a there's a key word in there that uh, I think we ought to explore a little bit. Neutral, neutral financial professional, neutral mental health professional. What what are the advantages of having the neutral person uh, versus other options that might be out there? So I think that the financial neutral is actually even almost a better example of this than the mental health neutral, because regular sort of adversarial divorces generally don't involve a mental health professional at all, unless we're talking about a custody evaluation or that kind. But there's very often financial people involved. And the neutral person is presented to the couple as an actual neutral. They don't have skin in the game to either direction. And that allows the couple to actually hear what they're saying. Instead of assuming that their opinion is meant to pull things in one direction or the other based on who's paying their bill, they're a true member of the team. And sometimes the numbers are the only thing that is really objective in the room, right? Something really costs this much or something is really valued at this amount. And sometimes it becomes the way in for the couple to begin hearing each other. And the neutrals really work to keep it as a team, right? Because the attorneys really do have sides. And as much as they may be in a team approach, they do have their own clients. The financial neutral and the mental health neutral are really there to keep the team together. And um, very often, say, if I'm in the room as the um, financial, uh, I mean, the mental health neutral, I will be the one sitting at the head of the table. Because it really creates this, we're in this together. I don't have sides. I'm here to help you through this. And Gary, as the attorney, you you are part of the team, but you're still an advocate for your client, right? How, how is it different to be a collaborative attorney in terms of the work that you do for your client? In collaborative divorce, the focus or the goal is a durable, fair settlement that meets the needs of each of the parties and their children, the family as a whole. So in in litigation, our job oftentimes is to attack the other side and drag them down and beat them up. In the divorce, in the collaborative divorce setting, we have to make a paradigm shift from that to taking the position of advocating for your client in a nice, civil, respectful way to try to get your client what are the most important goals coming out of a dissolution of the marriage and not fighting over small items, compromising on them so that each side ends up getting what's most important, compromising on the other things and coming away with a mutually agreeable and fair settlement in the eyes of the parties. The word team, uh, I hear used on a regular basis. Um, uh, how does how does the team work together to benefit the clients? So let me start kind of at the beginning of the formation of the team. The way the team is usually formed is one spouse will go to an attorney, they get um, kind of presented the idea of collaborative, let's say they agree to this, then that attorney will generally recommend other collaborative professionals who their spouse can use. Once the two attorneys are identified, they will usually recommend that the couple speaks to a mental health neutral. And that is kind of where the groundwork of how a session will 
or how the divorce will progress gets set. Then a financial neutral is identified if the case um, requires it. And then we all meet together in four ways or five ways or six ways, well, five ways or six ways, depending on how many professionals are involved. And all the professionals meet together first in a pre-brief before every session so that we know what the goals are, what we're looking to cover, what some of the hot button issues may be, how we're going to manage them. And then once the clients leave, there's a debrief where all the professionals, again, have a chance to kind of um, process what had gone on, discuss what they were hearing, talk about ideas that were presented and what that might look like. And it is very important that these meetings that are happening without the clients happen in that same team approach versus people becoming very position oriented and pushing us, you know, put a pushing an agenda that isn't what the couple wants. And something Julie mentioned is very important. In litigation, people take positions, they lock in, and they fight each other like trench warfare. In the collaborative divorce process, we try to deviate from taking positions and more importantly, looking at the goals of each spouse for the future life and what settlement terms could help them meet those goals. And, and so how are those goals determined? How does how, so that they don't become positional goals, but that they become something that that everybody's working toward? Well, we start the process by asking the parties, the spouses, each to tell us what their most important goals are going forward out of the marriage. And oftentimes you hear things like financial security, protection of the children, so the children are harmed as least as uh, possible coming through a divorce. Uh, and we often write them up on a whiteboard, like a blackboard, and they become guidelines for the process that our orientation is to focus on meeting each spouse's goals going forward so they have a new life that has that is fashioned upon a settlement that helps them achieve those goals. Is there ever a danger that the goals become positions? So that becomes the mental health professional's job, right? So very often it is keeping the attorneys away from taking positions, just like keeping the clients away from taking positions. And that might be a conversation that we have in, uh, let's say, in a debrief where I may say to an, one of the attorneys or both attorneys, like that meeting probably could have gone better if we were keeping our eye on the ball instead of just saying, well, this is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we want. Let's talk about how do we get to where they actually want to go rather than what you want. So we're doing uh, this podcast uh, today in advance of Divorce with Respect Week, which is coming up March 4th through 8th. Uh, it's an opportunity for people to do a consultation with a divorce professional uh, in New Jersey who's participating in Divorce with Respect Week. Uh, if somebody wanted to do a consultation with either of you, is there anything that they ought to do to prepare for that conversation with you? One of the things they can do is go online and look at collaborative divorce. Learn a little bit about what it is, how it proceeds, how it's different than normal adversarial litigation or attorney negotiation, and be a little familiar with it and then give us a call for a free consultation to learn 
how it could be processed for them in New Jersey. I think another additional advantage would be to come with an open mind and be willing to listen to not what your friends did, potentially not what you've heard, not that you want somebody who's going to, you know, go after your spouse, but be open minded that that may not be what's the right decision for your family. Yeah. And I guess particularly if you have kids that that you want to you want to keep those options open. Right. Most importantly, when there are children. It's very critical that we look not only at what each parent's goal is as an individual, but how they want to protect their children going through the process and how the settlement terms they're negotiating can achieve that goal as well. Thank you both for joining us today on the Respectful Divorce Podcast. Great information. Uh, Divorce with Respect Week is March 4th through 8th. Uh, You can get more information by going to divorcewithrespectweek.com. And if you navigate to the New Jersey area, you can find uh, the professionals who are participating and reach out to them through that website. If somebody wants to get more information about Collaborative in New Jersey, uh, where can they go to find that information? They can go to the State Council website at collaboratenj.org. All right. Once again, thank you all for joining us. This reminder, Divorce with Respect Week is March 4th through 8th. This is Tim Crouch reminding you that collaborative divorce is a better way to untie the knots.